The following Knowledge at Warden podcast is brought to you by Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their financial goals. Visit Vanguard.com. Additional support for this podcast comes from Warden Executive Education. For more information on Warden's executive course, Strategic Persuasion, the Art and Science of Selling Ideas, please visit http colon slash slash According to some industry estimates, fantasy sports is now a $4 billion industry and growing quickly. What is fantasy sports? Who provides fantasy sports platforms? What are the most popular fantasy sports? And coming off the Indianapolis Colts Super Bowl win, we are wondering if there will ever be a Super Bowl of fantasy football, or baseball, basketball, or hockey. Knowledge at Wharton asked Wharton Professor of Insurance and Risk Management, Kent Smetters, to bring us up to speed on the future of this industry. Kent, thanks for joining us. Good to be here. So let me just start by asking for those people who are really unfamiliar with this topic, what is fantasy sports? So fantasy sports basically allows the user to create his or her own team composed of real athletes that are currently playing. And so you pick a quarterback, you pick a running back and so forth, but you can pick from across lots of different sports teams. It just has to be a current player. And then you assemble your own team and then our points are given for things like touchdowns for running 10 yards, negative points if you fumble or throw an interception. And then the team that has the highest points at the end of the year um, is, is the winner. And so what it really did is that it allowed, allows people to really connect with various athletes that are out there. And it really takes advantage of the fact that um, you have about 125 million users have internet access and about 90% of you Americans are sports fans. So it's a, it gets at the intersection of both of those. As uh, we heard in the introduction, uh, it, it's growing into a $4 billion industry and it's also growing very fast. What's, what's the reason for that? I think it's people love sports and they have connection to the internet more and more. And so it allows for that. But what fantasy sports really did is it helped revitalize sports in general. If you go back a few years, there was lots of scandal about players going on strike as well as steroid usage and so forth. And so take baseball in particular. It was kind of going the way of hockey in terms of popularity. It was just becoming less and less popular because of the player's salaries, the strikes, the steroids and so forth. What fantasy sports, however, did is that it allowed people to assemble their own teams, and so it created allowed people to have a direct identity now again with the players. And so many credit fantasy sports with really bringing back excitement for baseball and even football. Who are the main providers of fantasy sports platforms? Well, there's dozens, but there's the big three: ESPN, Yahoo, and CBS Sportsline. They're the, the the main players. And so, if you just kind of step back and think about the history of fantasy sports, at one time people did fantasy sports with pencil and paper, and they'd literally do it over the telephone. You had this draft where you draft players with a telephone. You keep points over the telephone and pencil and paper. So, what these main providers did 
is that they basically said, hey, we can get rid of the pencil and the paper, we can get rid of the telephone, replace that with a chat room, and bring everything online. And, but the basic model stayed the same. And so they, none of these providers really took advantage of the power of the internet. You still have a system that's highly fragmented where you just play with your 10, 12 friends, um, maybe from college, and then you manage a separate team where you play with 10, 12 friends from work, then you manage maybe a third team where you play with 10, 12 friends from high school. So you're managing, managing these three teams. The, the three teams, they don't know each other. Each person on each, te- uh, um, on each league thinks that they're the very best. There's no social connectedness there. It's a highly fragmented system. But where's the money being made and who's making it? Well, it's a good question. It's uh, CBS Sports on ESPN are, are definitely making a lot of money. And basically, take the CBS model. What they do is they charge up to $500 to play, and the winner, the person who has the best team out of the 10 to 12 teams, makes $3,500. And so it's a pretty high stakes for a pretty low payoff. And the reason why it has to be so expensive to play is, first of all, CBS takes half of it. The second thing is is that um, you, you're just not aggregating over very, very many people. So if you want to have a decent-sized cash prize, each participant has to play a lot, has to pay a lot. Talking about the fantasy uh, sports model, uh, you, you've said that the current sports model is broken. Why is that? There's multiple problems with the uh, current uh, sports model. The, the first one is what I've already talked about. It's just highly fragmented. And so each league is composed of 10 to 12 teams who are competing in the, against each other. But all those leagues are separate. There's no kind of American Idol effect of figuring out who's the best. There's no connectedness between the between the uh, different leagues, kind of like a, a MySpace type uh, uh, connectedness. There's no comparison across those leagues. So as a result, it's a very highly fragmented system. Basically, what all the ESPN, CBS, and Yahoo did is took the paper and pencil method and brought it online. They didn't recognize the bigger impact of the internet. Even ESPN writers have said fantasy sports is broken. It's a highly fragmented system. It doesn't seem to make sense, but still it's popular because people are addicted to sports and it's now becomes a little bit easier with the internet. The second um, uh, problem, besides really knowing who's the best, is that um, there are, there's lots of cheating and collusion that goes on in traditional fantasy sports. And the reason why is because Athletes are not realistically priced in those models. In particular, we all know that one quarterback is maybe twice as good as a, as a second quarterback. Yet, th- that's not reflected in terms of the prices that you pay as a, as a fantasy team owner for those different quarterbacks. So when there's a draft, what you do is you always go for the best one because it doesn't cost you anymore. So there's lots of luck that's involved. But then... What happens is that throughout the season, because the athletes are not priced, there's no market for athletes, there's lots of secret trades that go on. So if you're in last place, you go to the person who's in second place, you say, I make a deal with you. I'll give you a really good athlete, we split the prize. And and so it's lots of these secret trades, there's lots of collusion, lots of frustration. You're an advisor and co-founder of a new fantasy sports company, 
What is it and, and how is that different? How does it address the problems you're talking about? So the company is called Rotohog, which is, Why is that? <laughs> R-O-T-O-H-O-G. And the expression roto has become synonymous with fantasy sports. There's a long history behind how fantasy used to be played as what's called a roast. Uh, uh, type system. Um, we can don't have to go there, but it's really synonymous now with fantasy sports. And hog is this, just the idea of you want to basically hog all the wealth, and that's what sports <laughs> is all about: is is figuring out who's the best. And it really uh, goes and focuses on the problems with traditional fantasy sports. First, in our model, you can continue to play against your friends that people are used to doing, but simultaneously you're also competing against the entire world. You can actually figure out who's the best in the world. And the reason why is because everybody's on the same point scoring system, but it's also how you acquire athletes. It's no longer simply the luck of the draft. We have a draft, but everybody, all the athletes are, are priced according to supply and demand. And then after the draft is over, you can easily acquire athletes on this open trading system where the athletes are priced according to supply and demand. So a really good quarterback is going to cost more than a not-so-good quarterback. As a result, you don't have the secret trades going on. You don't have the collusion. You don't have the luck factor. Uh, every, and it also means you have the wisdom of the crowds. You can actually say, okay, the market has determined this quarterback is much better than this quarterback, or this running back is better than this running back. Now, you may say to yourself, well, isn't that already obvious given their contract salaries? And it's no, because you have some quarterbacks who are just much underpaid um, because relative to their uh, other quarterbacks in the real world, because when they were acquired, it wasn't clear if they were the best quarterback. They just developed later on. This is a market that actually says, hey, the entire market says this quarterback is better than that quarterback. And so what it also means is that we can actually have a big prize win, winner. And in particular, the winner of our league gets $100,000, and it's completely free to play. And we make money off advertising and then some optional services that are not required to play the game. In contrast, CBS, you pay $500 for a chance to win $3,500, and ours it costs you nothing, and you can win 100000 And the reason why is because we're able to aggregate over across everybody. So looking to the future then, do you think there will someday be a Super Bowl of fantasy sports? And how do you think that will change the fantasy sports industry? Well, that's exactly what we're trying to do in Rodohog. In particular, we're trying to figure out who's the best in the world. And that, the, the issue of kind of figuring out who's the best is not just true in football, it's true in baseball, hockey, basketball, everybody competing in this fragmented system, no one really knowing who is the best. In our model, we try to figure out actually who is the best. And so I hope you know, we, we do solve that, but it is uh, you know, something that's still in, in the future. Um, how do I think it will affect sports? I think you know, people get more excited because now there's a real chance of winning. It's, you don't have to break the bank in order to play. I th- we hope to draw in a lot more people, a lot more maybe students who can't afford to throw in $500, and um, in, as a result, hopefully we get a lot more competition and a lot more wisdom of the crowds also determining who are the best athletes that are out there. Is there any correlation between uh, your role as professor of insurance and risk management and your interest in fantasy sports? Not in a, <laughs> not in a direct sense, I, I, I guess. 
But there is the, the issue about markets being incomplete that's related to my research. And so part of this exercise, is to, well, it's not an exercise, but a game, is to really figure out who are the best athletes that are out there. And it's allowing the wisdom of the crowds to comment on, on, on that. And so insurance is a lot about trying to value different risk. And this is a market that values different risk. These risks happen to be athletes. Looking to the future, um, you know, five years out, what do you think the situation will be with fantasy sports? I wouldn't be surprised in five, ten years out that teams, I mean real teams like the Philadelphia Eagles, look to these markets and say, hey, we should maybe be compensating some of our players based on the, the wisdom of the market. And we could even imagine coming up with things like compensation packages that say as your p- price in Rotohog or some competitive system goes up, you know, you'll get compensated more. And so it's, you know, I'm, I doubt that's going to happen in the next year or two. But you could imagine a system like that where you now have this wisdom of the crowds that actually are, are helping teams, first of all, determine who should we play, who should we start, who should we draft, and who should we, how much should we pay them, and how do we pay them? I mean, imagine if Terrell Owens, for example, here at the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, the whole problems that happened with Terrell Owens, that he was compensated not based on his rhetoric, but actually on his catches and his performance. That could have been a very different type of uh, setup. Well, that'll be the day when fantasy merges into reality, right? <laughs> That's right. And <laughs> it's, it's already happening in the sense that interest in sports has definitely increased um, because of fantasy. It's one reason why the NFL right now is actually spending a lot of money trying to de- develop ideas related to fantasy sports because they understand that fantasy sports has helped um, uh, increase interest in their own product. And in a multiple ways, it's not just that you're now interested in your local team, but now people who play fantasy, they're actually interested in 10, 15 teams because their players come from all the different teams. So, so they're actually following, you know, they get digital cable or a satellite cable and, and they're, they're watching three or four games simultaneously to see how their, their particular athletes are doing. And so it's uh, really cr- uh, created this uh, increase in excitement for just the, uh, the regular real sports. But I assume most of the players are young and middle-aged men. Is Actually, the demographic is very interesting. The average player is, in fact, male, um, depending on what survey, up to 90% um, male. We, we hope to address that problem a little bit. Um, it, it's, it's also uh, true that most of them actually tend to be college graduates, and they also tend to have high, higher incomes. Um, depending on what survey, the average income of, a, of the a fantasy player is between seventy-five and eighty-five thousand dollars. So it tends to be a well-educated male um, and high-income demographic. What, so is there is there are there any attempts to draw in say more women or more uh, sports challenged people? <laughs> <laughs> sports challenged people always be a challenge. And one of the things that we're trying to do in our uh, Rotohog game is make it more exciting so that. People are excited not just by sports, but also our, our, our stock market element to actually how you acquire athletes. And if we make the game more fair and fun, we hope we draw more people in. But in terms of women, I, th- I really think it's partly trying to showcase 
um, uh, that women can play this thing. I have a niece who um, is, does a, an office pool every year, and she beats about, out about 60, 70 men <laughs> in terms of the NCAA college football games. Um, it's not a high-stakes bet or anything like that, but you know, she, she t- often wins. And so what hap- the, the problem in the current model when you have these small private leagues is that you really can't showcase people. There's no American Idol effect here. But what would be interesting is seeing some women who actually play and they actually win the Super Bowl, they actually win um, the, the contest, or even just doing the top 10. And I think that will create a lot of excitement for women. Great. Well, thanks, Kent. This is fascinating. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. For more information, please visit our website at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Mm-hmm.